Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And thank you for subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Check this out. (laughs) On this podcast, what we're going to do is go back. We're going back to November 5th, 1996. On that day, Tupac Shakur would release the last album that he recorded before he was tragically murdered. He released it under the name Machiavelli, and the album is called The Don Columinati, The Seven Day Theory. This album is actually turning 25 years old. And we're going to break it down. We're going to break down the tracks, the production. We'll talk about the controversy surrounding the album. Talk about the album cover. And unfortunately, we'll talk about Tupac's death. And of course, I will not be doing this podcast alone. I've got my homie. Q, the six man, is in the building. So you don't want to miss it. So sit tight. After the break, what you will hear. The Don Columinati, the seven day theory. 25 years later from Machiavelli, a.k.a. Tupac, right here on the 12 Kyle podcast. Let's get it. And just like that, we are back. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for checking out this edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm your boy, 12 Kyle. And as you can see, we are taking it back. We are going back to 1996, uh, October um, to be exact, we're going back to 1996 uh, to celebrate, and we're going to reevaluate and break down. Not October. I don't know why I said October. I meant to say November 5th mm-hmm. uh, of 1996. On that day, Tupac Shakur, aka Machiavelli, released his album, uh, The Don Columinati Theory, The Seven Day Theory. Uh, this album is turning 25 and we're here to celebrate it. Uh, a lot of things around this album. We're going to get into the tracks and, and talk about everything. And uh, I got a special co-host, man. Let me tell you all a little bit about this guy right here. Uh, he and I actually discussed doing this pod podcast. Jesus. I think before I actually had this podcast, <laughs> I think it was when I had the radio show. Um, we talked about doing this one and you know, what's weird was Q was that I, I keep a file, right? I keep mm-hmm. a file of, of podcasts or shows that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And in this particular file, it had Tupac podcast with Q and I had the list of the tracks and everything that I wanted to play in the background, the format and everything. And for whatever reason, we didn't do it on the 12 radio show. And then at the beginning of this year, I started, I, I started looking at the albums that I wanted to review and then when I saw it open in November that this album would be turning 25, I was like, bet. I said, I got to get Q for this one. So I'm going to bring on my boy Q, the six man. Uh, th- me and this guy, we go back five or six years. Uh, very, very smart brother. I mean, if you've seen him on social media, you know he's deep. You know he he knows what he's talking about. Q, man, welcome to the 12 Kyle podcast, man. 
very appreciative to be here. You know what I'm saying? Always love. You know what I mean? Oh, it's, no it's, it's damn near like eight years almost, bro. It it's really like it's, it's crazy. 2014, really, bro. Like wow. it's probably been before then, actually, because I remember we were doing podcasts about Donald Sterling. Right. And that, that 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 had to be like 20, 2013 or something, man. Like that's been right. nine right. years. So it's like right. almost a decade deep for real. Wow, that's that's crazy. And you know what's funny, man? It, I'll I'll let you guys in on a little secret. Before I actually got a chance to see Q, I wasn't sure if Q was a real person because this man, and it's funny, Q, because me and Ken had the same conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh we were we were hosting Dead End Sports, and Q would come on and he would talk. And I think you I think we were having call-ins, and you would call in, and he was so much younger than us, like Q's 25 years old, right? And so I'm like, I was telling Ken, I was like, are you sure this is a real person? It might be somebody, it might be spam or something, man. I was like, because he's way too deep to be 25. I was like, I need to know more about this dude. And it wasn't until we did something live or something where we could actually see you. And we was mm-hmm. like, oh, shit, he's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, the internet be playing games sometimes. People be like, oh, I'm 30 and people be 60. And shit. You know what right. I mean? That's how I'd be. But. I was like, man, this dude is way too, he's way too deep to be that young. I was like, if I was that, if I was that deep when i was that young i'd have a whole bunch a whole lot more money um but man welcome man i, I again glad to have you here this this guy's really like a little brother to me man um i i want to always start by when we when we're talking about albums i always go back to you know the background as far as like what people were doing when the album came out and like i said you're 25 so you mm-hmm. were in diapers literally when this mm-hmm. album came out. Mm-hmm. So how did you get to this album and how did you get to Tupac? Because I, I know that there had to be a father figure, a big brother, somebody to introduce mm-hmm. you because this album came out. I was in college mm-hmm. and you were literally in diapers. Mm-hmm. In Pampers. So it's like <laughs> I'm as old as this album is. Right, so right, I, I, right. I feel I feel very connected to it for that reason. Um I feel as though how I get into it is mm-hmm. because my mother is very much so a music head, like everything, okay. you know what I mean? Stylistics, Delphonics, you feel me? Like Earth, Wind & Fire, right? So we start there. But over time, uh, with the influence of my father, cousins and whatnot, bumping EPMD, you know, Jizzle, Liquid Swords, all that stuff, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that's the foundations of my hip hop stuff. Um so people would think that it's like more like Soldier Boy and Kanye, right, right, but right. it's like no, nah, I got into them like later, you know what I mean? So that's how I get into Pac is I just go to the pillars of every genre. Like my mom would tell me, if you're gonna know about genres, if you're gonna know about music, you gotta go to like not to use the word like the goats and whatnot. I feel like that stuff mm-hmm. is so you know played out now, but you gotta go to like the pillars of the genre, and you can't talk about hip hop without talking about. Tupac, Biggie, Jay-Z. So I start with, you know, just the regulars, um, starting with, you know, Tupacalypse Now. And I was like, okay, this this, this dude is saying something. Um, going from that, and this is around the time when I was probably about, like, 12. Okay. 10, you know, 10, 11, 12, right? Mm-hmm. And, this, and this has to be, like, I'm 25 now, so that's probably, like, 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, from, from this point, I delved deeper into it. I actually started backwards. I actually started with Tupacalypse, and then I went to like, uh, "Are you still down?" The posthumous okay. album and whatnot. And I was like, "All right, I like this dude for love single." You know what I mean? Right, blah, blah, right. blah. Um, but then 
I started to like go in order. I was like, okay, by 13, I had to go in order. I'm like, all right, apocalypse. Then I got to go to Strictly Four. And I go mm-hmm. to Me Against the World. You know what I'm saying? So then I arrive and all eyes on me. And I'm like, bro, this is just, this dude yeah. is incredible, right? And I'm like, yo, this dude, like, you know, not only like the politics of what he was saying, because I had seen so many interviews and I had friends in middle school who were like, you got to know about Pac. He was, a, mama was a Black Panther, all that stuff, right? Yeah. So I looked into his history. I'm like, okay, he's saying something for real. Yes. And then, you know, all eyes on me. And then uh, I'm obviously the, the Machiavelli album. And I arrived there and I've been playing it ever since. I just think it's like, I think it's just, you know, we'll, we'll get deeper into my thoughts, but I've been right, playing right, it ever, right. ever since. Yeah, man. I, that That is a great story because a lot of times people think that, like, we all arrive to music in the same way and we don't, you know. Um, and I, I think it's really dope when cats like you you know, find, have people in your family, like you said, your mom, your dad, who introduced that music to you because it it was a great era. You know, I, it, there's nothing against this era of music, but I think you'll see as we talk more about this album and, and Tupac uh, specifically, um, they don't make them like this. You know, when he said he was cut from a different cloth, he really was. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not, before I even go any further, shout out my boy, Chris Harley, uh, Chris Harley and I went to South Carolina State University together and I saw Chris a couple of weeks ago at our college homecoming and Chris as soon as he saw me he gave me dab gave me hug he, he, he told me he loved me he gave me a bottle of Ciroc and after that he proceeded to tell me how much better Tupac was than Biggie and so like this is the thing that Chris and I we for the last 10-15 years every time we see each other it's Pac and Big Pac and Big mm-hmm. and it's, it's all in good fun Mm-hmm. But I had to shout him out on this podcast. <laughs> um, how I came to this album, man, obviously, for those of you who know, this album came out just a couple of weeks after Tupac was murdered. Um, I'll be honest, man, this this album found me and a lot of people in a really weird space. And the reason why I say that is because, like, we didn't expect Tupac to die. Like, nobody expected him to die. And I, I talked about it in another podcast, and it's worth mentioning mentioning again here. Pac got shot on September 7th, right? Mm-hmm. I think, and he passed away on September 13th. And I, I think on September 11th or 12th, somewhere around there, the news that we got, because keep in mind, there was no internet. The news that we got was he was doing better. You know, mm-hmm. the only thing we had was that Tupac got shot. It was, you know, in Vegas after the Tyson fight, so forth and so on. There was, you know, speculation as to who did it or whatever like that. Um, but beyond that, it was very little news that we had. It's not, it's, it's, it's so foreign than it from how it is today where you would have had TMZ on the scene. We would have had Twitter. We would have had everything. We would have, we would have known his blood pressure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, uh-huh. And so like, I remember getting the news on September 11th that he was doing fine. And it, it was like, yeah, they expect him to recover. And we was like, oh snap, you know, so Pac got shot. We were, you know, a little disappointed and sad that he got shot. But you thought in the back of your mind, okay, well, he's going to be fine. He'll make a record about it, <laughs> you know. Because Quad Studio. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and uh-huh. you know, so we thought that that was going to be what it was. And then, like, I just remember when I got the news that he died, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, no. So I went to the radio because, again, there was no internet. I went to the radio. And the radio, as soon as I went to the radio, I went to three different stations and all of them were playing Tupac song. Uh-huh. I was like, Oh my gosh. And then the guy came on and said that, you know, Pac was dead. And so, like I said, this album found us in a really weird space because, you know, he had, we had just lost him. 
And so it gave us a little bit of life and, and, and good feeling of hearing it. But it was also sad because we like, damn, we're not going to get this anymore. And, and we lost a really good dude. And I mean, like at that particular time, by the time the album comes out a couple of weeks later, there's all kind of speculation. Uh, we, of course, heard that, you know, the FBI was following Tupac the night that he was murdered, uh, both he and Biggie. And that has been confirmed. But I mean, you know, say what you want about the FBI. We already know how that goes. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just it was just crazy, man. So this album found me in a really, really tough space and even going back and listening to it because i'll be honest i had not listened to this album in its entirety probably in the last three or four years mm. but as i was listening leading up to this podcast cube man i just remember it reminded me how much i love this album um mm -hmm. i just it, it certain songs took me back to certain memories of being certain places yep. um it made me feel good about how i felt about tupac at the time because you know at the time that he left us, you know, Pac was, you weren't, I mean, you couldn't be on the fence about it. You either hated him or you loved him. Like it really wasn't no in between. Mm -hmm. um, I've talked about, you know, about the, the East coast, West coast beef, if you will. And I mm -hmm. use quotation marks in that, um, you know, and I think, you know, he and Biggie never got a chance to, you know, square everything up. And, you know, mm -hmm. he obviously goes at Nas and Jay-Z on this album. And he and Nas, you, we found out later, got a chance to squash it. Before mm -hmm. you know, and and he actually told Eric B that, hey, remind me when we get back to L.A. to take this off that track, take this off that about that about Nas, and that obviously he never made it back to L.A. because they left New York um, at the was MTV Music Awards, and then they stopped in Vegas, and that was his last stop mm -hmm. at Bryant Park. Yep, yep, they had a talk at Bryant Park, and so um, so yeah, that's that's where this album found me in 1996. Again, it, like I said, in a in a different space. But I was happy. I was sad that he was gone, but I was also happy to hear his music because um, you mentioned the Are You Down For Me album, which was the first posthumous release. I think that's that's the last Tupac album that I bought. That's uh -huh. the last one. I just I, I didn't really want to go into and I mean, you know, there was a run of Tupac albums after that. I didn't want to buy those albums because I just I, I didn't know if those were albums, if those were songs that, um, you know, he would have put out if he were still around, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but as we get into this album, obviously it's called the seven day theory. And now it's been widely rumored and stated that this is called that because this album was completed in seven days. Do you think that this album was done in seven days? I believe, I think it was Daryl Harper did an interview. With one of the producers, it was the three main producers on this album. Mm -hmm. uh, heard, heard him bad. QD3, Quincy Jones's son, and mm -hmm. then you have um, Daryl Harper. And I think Daryl Harper said that uh, he recorded this album in three days. He wow. recorded it in three days. Like, first of all, just the work ethic and the mastery of knowing what your pen needs to do and just the essence of him, I feel like it's all over this album. So mm -hmm. I think that I believe it if, if they say seven days because Pac was the type of guy where they would tell him, you know, put it on like a break beat and he would just rhyme over a break beat. It would be a simple beat and he would just write it something down 20 minutes. Like I think he did against all odds in like 15 minutes. He wrote this like it's just like it's ridiculous. Like, you know what I mean? It's just he's he's touched by something, some some higher, some entity. Like to me, this album is a conjuring of so many ancestral, like just 
understandings because there's so much code on this album that we're gonna it get is. into it it's is. so much coded stuff on this album that people don't really really get so much black tradition that his mother's put into him on this album that people don't really grasp and that is the reason why i do believe it was probably done in seven days because when you have all these lessons that he wanted to give us on this body of work i think it just spills out of you naturally you know right yeah, I, I agree, man. I think I, I was I wasn't surprised when they said it was done in seven days. I, I actually believe that. And I'll tell you why, because Pac was really on some hustle. You know, like he when he got out of jail, you know, it's, it's well known that, you know, Suge got him out of jail or whatever like that. And he owed Suge and he owed Death Row, you know, in, in his words, his life. And so but he had an album. He had some albums that he was due for that particular label. So and they said Pac would it would be nothing for him to do three, four songs in a day. He was recording like crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think that's why we were able to get so much music even after he left us. Mm -hmm. um, but his work ethic, uh, I think the time and, and everything that he put into his rhymes, mm -hmm. um, I could definitely see him knocking out this album in, in seven days. Uh, I found it interesting that he went, and this was a lot of, a big controversy at, the, at that particular time, how he went from being Tupac Mm -hmm. to Machiavelli as far as the, the his moniker on this album mm -hmm. and the history behind Machiavelli. What what was, I guess, what did you take from that or what was explained to you about his, his name mm -hmm. transition from Tupac to Machiavelli mm -hmm. and the significance behind it? Because, you know, of course, mm -hmm. there's some conspiracy theories that, you yeah. know, he, he faked his own death and yeah. he was hiding in Cuba and all yeah. this stuff like that. Lord, and as much as I wish that's true, um, <laughs> there's a, there's actually an interview with one of uh, Tupac's childhood friends uh, mm -hmm. from ba from Baltimore, and uh, okay, and obviously you got to take certain things with a grain of salt. Everybody want to say that they knew Tupac, right? Right. But there are pictures, there's multiple photos and videos of this person um, riding with him to Marin City when he moves, and in Baltimore when he was dead broke with a Feeney living in a one room walk up, and mm -hmm. I think it was East Baltimore. Oh, wow. So I think I think that uh this 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 man told us a story about how being at the performing arts school he was like yo this this Machiavelli dude is dope you know what I mean and this is probably around like what 12, 13 years old right. um you know going back and forth from New York and he was um on top of that I think he always had an, an affinity for the Machiavelli story in the book and the, you know like the whole narrative behind that and just the tactics of you know uh, how to fake your own death or what whatever but it was also from what I also understand the research I've done, it was also uh, kind of a play with him and Suge because Suge would call himself Simon and Pac would call himself Machiavelli. And if you listen to All Eyes on Me, like Hearts of Men, he was like, I'm, you know, I'm Mr. Machiavelli. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. like, That's what they tell me. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So he was, he, he had been saying this on right. records. So I think that people kind of not take it out of context, but people took it to the umpteenth degree of right. like, literally you know what i mean where it's like yo this is not necessarily a declaration that he faked his own death it's just more so like you know i'm, I'm like almost like a moniker it's an alias you know yeah I, I think you make a great point in that because again you look at the time mm -hmm. there I, I remember people you know diehard tupac fans who did not want to believe that he was gone and i mean we understand it you know because mm -hmm. again at that particular time in in the 90s yeah, you heard about people getting shot, but like nobody, I didn't like. I don't remember like celebrities, you know, dying at an early age over something like that, you know. So, and it was just so senseless, and it was just like, okay, the how and the why. And I wish, you know, even looking back on it now, I wish that we did have the internet because I think we would have, we would have had, we would have gotten more answers. Like 
it's funny, Q, because my uh, our middle son, Cameron, he's 19 at the time of this recording. Mm-hmm. Cameron is a huge Tupac fan, right? And Cameron will ask me, he'll ask me the most randomest question. He's like, Dad, well, you know, if Pac got shot, you know, how do they know that such and such didn't do it? And I'm like, well, Cameron, I don't know. I was like, he was on a Vegas strip. I was like, the word that I got, he was on a Vegas strip. It was a, you know, bumper to bumper traffic. So, and nobody saw nothing. I was like, now we know somebody saw something. Come on. <laughs> I was like, so I said, but you know, and he always, I'm always intrigued by the questions he asked because like he's thoroughly interested. He's watched these mm-hmm. series and movies on, you know, Pox killing and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I'm like, yeah, he, he's, he's, I was like, I just, I can't bring myself to watch that because as a fan, it just hurts. Like, yeah. And you you kind of relive it all over again, mm-hmm. and, and the 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 disbelief of you know mm-hmm. him and Big for that matter mm-hmm. being gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I thought that you you definitely make a great point. Like his, mm-hmm. you you get so much from this album. Um, we can actually start with the album cover when you talk about back and forth. Q, we didn't know what the album was going to look like. Yeah, I didn't know until I went to the store that day that it came out to buy it. Uh, what what did you take on the album cover? Uh, this image is not to disrespect uh, any <laughs> Christian, right? You know, anyone's religion, right? Right, I, right. There's a there's a story. I think you know. Obviously, we got to take with grains of salt. But the story from Suge is right. that one night, Pac called him up at like three, four in the morning, and he's like, "Yo, what's good, Simon?" And he's like, "What's up, Macarelli? What's up?" And he's just like, "Yo, I want to do this album." And also at the time, I believe that Pac wanted this to be a mixtape, which okay. is which is amazing to me. That's like the foresight of like you know years before No Limit, years before Wayne, years before mm-hmm. Dipset Fifty. This was gonna be sold out the trunk of people's car. That's insane to me. Right. So you know he calls him up and he's like, "Yo, I, w- I want to do this joint, uh, this Machiavelli joint, and I want I got this idea for the art. I feel like I'm being crucified. You know what I mean? I, f- I feel like I'm you know." Felt like I'm just the one who, who got to take this, you know what I mean? And, and Simon at the time, you know what I mean? It's, it's just like, all right, well, I'm gonna get it done for you. So he goes to the art department at uh Can Am, uh, at Death Row, and he's just like, yo, Pac want to do this. But this was like, I think it was three weeks before he died that they were wow. putting this press together. So it's just like, you know, a lot of people do believe in energy, a lot of people do believe in like self fulfilling prophecies and whatnot, mm-hmm. but I do think that there's some credence to the fact that Tupac understood that not only his politic but who he was representing for with his lyrics it gave him a short amount of time um there's a book that I'm not gonna get too in depth when I'm speaking about the album but there's a book called um the FBI war on Tupac's record by a researcher named John Potash okay and this book in full detail court documents Obviously, there's some speculation within the book, but the court documents, the label documents that are put forth in this that are verifiable from his family members, people like Watani Taihemba, who was his manager during um, the Tupacalypse time. Mm-hmm. You have people like Chope Lamumba, who was his lawyer during the 94 uh, sexual assault case that they gave him severance for and ended up trying Haitian Jack for the rape instead of Tupac. You remember, they put him in jail for groping her butt, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. So when people try to throw dirt on his name, I think people need to look into this book because there's such a narrative and a deliberate defamation of who Tupac was. Because like, like you say, Kyle, 
when we look at the album cover, it's very easy to look at it and be like, oh, he he fooling himself. He thinking right. this and that. <laughs> but it's just like it's just like but but when you when you look at his death row contract, they said you you have a three album deal to get out of this deal. All eyes on me is a double disc. Yep. There you and go. And Machiavelli's the third album. That's it. And then he dies before the third album comes out. I'm not saying anybody believe you know believe what you want to believe, but please right. read this book by John Patash. There is a narrative we are getting, and Kyle, let, let me know if I'm wrong here. But my dad, he tells me he was like, "Yo, he was bigger than Fresh Prince for like eight months." Yeah. How I, does at, how does that the, happen? <laughs> at the time that he died, he was literally the biggest star in rap. I mean, like, and, and it wasn't it wasn't even close. Like, even somebody like. Biggie was right there with him, mm-hmm. but there was no starter that was shining as, as bright as, as Pac. And here's the thing that's that's interesting is, and I know we'll get to it, but you know, in the album he disses Jay Z. Jay Z's album just like just came out, so and nobody knew nothing about Reasonable Doubt. I I, I wish I, and I talked about it on another podcast. I wish I had time to talk about Reasonable Doubt for as great it is as it is. It was not something that was hot on the streets like mm-hmm. the first six months to a year that it was out mm-hmm. like the people mm-hmm. who had it loved it i had it but mm-hmm. it wasn't like jay-z was some household name mm-hmm. you know he came at nas nas was huge nas was mm-hmm. you know a hip-hop god at that particular time mm-hmm. you know but i mean Pac, his level of celebrity and stardom was through the i mean he had done movies mm-hmm. he was on another level and i think really he was just really scratching the surface and you know what's, what's interesting q is that like it wasn't until probably about I don't know, man, maybe about 10 years ago, I was having this conversation with somebody and I, and it dawned on me how old he was when he died. Like I knew how old he was, but like, he's not, he wasn't that much older than me, but he seemed so much older and so much wiser. He had been through so much stuff Mm -hmm. and he was somebody that, you know, people won't say it, but he was somebody we looked up to. Um, Mm -hmm. And we got a lot of game and a lot of wisdom and Tupac was, he was a lot of different things, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. He would be riding on fools on one song and the next song he, you know, talking about women and the next song he's bigging them up, you know, mm-hmm. but that's just who Pac was. You know, he was a complex person, but his, who he was at the core, I think we knew through his music. And mm-hmm. I don't think that, you know, a lot of people got a chance to really see if you right. listen, if you really listen to his music, mm-hmm. I think you can get a chance to see that. But if you, mm-hmm. if you get beyond the bandana and all the flash mm-hmm. and flame, Mm-hmm. All the stuff like that, you can see who Tupac was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you you make a great point, man. I, I'm definitely gonna check that out because it's it's so much stuff that is verifiable when you when if you're just dealing with the facts and stuff mm-hmm. that happened, even mm-hmm. the night that he was murdered and what was going on or what was surrounding him. Mm-hmm. Um it, it, it's it, I don't know, man. I just I still and that's the thing I think that's that's frustrating when you think about Pac and Big in that that aspect mm-hmm. is so many unanswered questions even i mean 25 years later still mm-hmm. unanswered questions mm-hmm. um but yeah this this album when i saw the album cover man i was blown away <laughs> it's it's just like you know it, it's an amazing cover in retrospect because of just the energy that the album holds and you're just like damn they really did crucify this man if you do believe a certain thing or even mm-hmm. if you don't you can believe that he was crucified prior to I, you know, I just want to state my biases and state my um, opinion plainly for the people. When I when I read that book, it confirmed a lot of what I already thought. Okay. Um, and what I and what, what is, so what I think about Tupac's death is I don't think it's a death or a murder. I think it's an assassination. Mm. Um, 
And I think I use that word clearly because if you think about every living example of respectable black manhood, I know where you're going. <laughs> it's been extinguished at every point. It's been removed. It's been degraded. It's been defamed. Oh, don't be like him. Or, oh, we can't allow this. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Michael Evers. We can go on and on and on. Matulu Shakur. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Even Jesse Jackson, they put, you know, the photos out, you know what I mean? All that stuff. Right. You know, with the, the, the even like the mayor in D.C., he's on crack. You can't have him doing that. You know what I mean? So right. it's like every time that there is an example of black manhood that is slightly respectable, they throw something on it or they have to defame it. And this book clarifies so much for me because the stories of what everyone has said around him from my father to my uncle is like yo this dude's bigger than fresh prince how does, how does the biggest rapper in the world get killed on one of the busiest strips in yes. america <laughs> and no one has photos no one has a camera nothing. no one has nothing, nothing. you know and in this book they revealed that 20 minutes before uh he got killed they got pulled over by the police yeah People yeah. don't even know this. There's you know a photo mean? of that. That the photo when you see of they're in the BMW, mm-hmm. Fox on the passenger side, Sugar's on the mm-hmm. on, is driving the driver's seat. There's a photo. Mm-hmm. That's the famous. That was the last photo. And mm-hmm. I, it's ironic. And, and Q, we never put kind of two and two together back then. Before that, like, why? How would that photo be there? Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's a lot of stuff that that mm-hmm. is, is that makes you question it. And I mean, mm-hmm. like, I know, you know, or it was said that suge told mm-hmm. you know the death row camp not to say nothing not to talk to the police mm-hmm. I, and i get that part of it but you know it it also got into some street shit and i never get in street shit because i ain't mm-hmm. no street dude mm-hmm. but I, i'll be very interested to check that out because i have i still got questions i still have a mm-hmm. lot of questions and mm-hmm. as time goes on the questions become even more and more mm-hmm. um so we saw the album cover and that bugged us out yes and so then we get before I even get into the tracks, what did you think about the production? This production, you mentioned, you know, the the people that produced this album. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't sound like All Eyes on Me. This album mm-hmm. doesn't sound like All Eyes on Me. It doesn't sound like Me Against the World sonically. Mm-hmm. But I think it really fits where he was going. Like he didn't have to have, how can I put it, over the top production. Mm-hmm. This production, I think, fit the pocket that he was in. What, what did you What did you think about the, uh, the production on this album? I always say it like this: If All Eyes on Me was the party that lasts all day and all night, mm-hmm. this album is like the cinematic, dirty, hairy western that ends with the shootout. You feel <laughs> me? And they everybody goes out in a blaze of glory. You know right. what I mean? But the production on this album is incredible to me because I think it gets back in that me against the world pocket a little bit. And obviously that was way more New York East coast based. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I really do believe that this was going to be the sound of the later nineties, two thousands. Had it been a, had he been able to live because I think Pac was saying um, in a couple of interviews I was watching uh, with guys like Daryl Harper, heard him bad and QD three. They were like, yo, fuck what they doing in, you know, the other thing. This whack room, you know, what they had in Can-Am, they had a studio uh, room called the whack room where they brought in guys who they thought didn't really have what it took to really make it on bigger albums for Snoop, Michelle right. and whatnot. But Pog was like, yo, this dude, Daryl Harper, he making beats every 20 minutes. Yo, this dude heard him bad. Like, yo, he's giving me some of the most fire I've ever heard. And the pocket I'm in and what I want to do and, you know, just the conversations that they were having when recording, apparently, Pac was saying, yo, I, I, I want to get back more to the teachings of what, you know, my people's 
taught me and what I was able to put on like Me Against the World and Tupacalypse. And I think that the production on this album is just so stellar because you have strings, mm-hmm. you have these great guitar riffs. Yes. And it's just like you have, you know, there's even a Prince sample on To Live and Die in LA. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's like the the haunting bells and scents that you get on this album, even a joint like my even my least favorite song, I, I've come to love it. Like even just like daddy, I, I love yeah, the synth I, on <laughs> I, I I love the synth on that on 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 that song. Yeah, that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm with you on that. That that one um is is funny because like the first time I heard it, I was like I don't remember that because, like, I always what I what I try to do, Q, is when I'm when I'm reviewing these albums, I try not to look at the track listing when I list the first couple of times I listen uh-huh. to just just uh-huh. just to go through memory, see uh-huh. if I can kind of guess what the next song is, uh-huh. particularly uh-huh. if I haven't heard the album in a while. And that came, I was like, it's okay. I was Come like, with me in a time. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, they could have used uh, Jewels or somebody for the hook or something, yeah. you know, but. This album was absent of, you know, the death row camp. I mean, obviously, you know, he and Dre have fallen out of whatever the case may be, but uh-huh. there's no Snoop on this album. There's no Dog Pound. Uh-huh. There's nobody. It's just, you know, him and the Outlaws. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed, you know, all of the aspects of this album sonically. It, it was, it, it, like you said, it took me back to, you know, the Me Against the World. It took me back to Apocalypse Now, uh-huh. uh, strictly for my niggas. Uh, it, it, it did all of that, I think, you know, and it's like I said, it's not over the top production, but I think it, it what it does is it brings out the best of Tupac. Um, so we get into the tracks. Track one. <laughs> Bomb first. My second reply featuring Outlaws. What do you think about that one, man? First of all, I have I have two versions of the Machiavelli album, and I listen okay. to both of them actually. I have the OG version where it's just Pac in the studio; you can hear his outtakes, mm-hmm. and then I have the original, and it's also on YouTube. Y'all type in on YouTube if you want to hear the original version of Machiavelli with, uh, without like the skits and without like the okay. dude coming in, Pac on the original version. He's like, "Y'all motherfuckers still breathing? <laughs> you niggas still breathing?" Yeah. And you know what I mean? And it's just like, but on the original uh, versus the uh, retail, the retail comes in with this dope. I just, I'm, it's so haunting to me mm-hmm. where it's like you, you have these funeral bells. It sounds like they're outside of Pac's funeral or something. And it's just like the whole shook shot me stuff. We've, we've come to figure out that that was just a reel that they used from a movie of sidewalk talk and whatnot. Right. But just that whole mystery that that lasted and still lasts for a lot of people, they still don't know this information. People talk about that Bro. all the time. Did you hear that? Like, like, dude, people want Pac to be like, you know, Jacques, Jacques Cousteau or something, man. But um, the whole the whole like MTV reporter did the, the, the Tupac has just released an album under the name Machiavelli and all these mm-hmm. other corny sounding motherfuckers. I love that. You know what I yeah. mean? All right, yeah. come in with that. And then you just hear him just start riding on these folk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like just the energy and just the adrenaline. I think what makes Machiavelli album so special is the intro and you know the ending of Against All Odds. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like a roller coaster that stays up the entire yes. time. Yeah. It's an it's just this adrenaline shot that to me has all of the best qualities of his last three albums prior. It has the, mm-hmm. you know, Strictly 4. It has to keep your head up because, you know, listen to White yep. Man's World and yep. we'll get White there. Man's World. But, you know what I mean? But it's like Bomb First comes in 
and I, I've even grown to like the Outlaws. That's how much of a two by fan <laughs> I am. You know what I mean? You no, know, the Outlaws were, they, they weren't that bad. They weren't. Yeah, they, they were decent. They were decent. You know what I mean? Like Edie had a good verse on. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Outlaws when the land unloaded when nobody hold like all right, cool. Like all right, he was coming and kind of rhyming a little bit. You right, know what I mean? right. Yeah, I mean, I, this is a perfect lead off to an album. Um, I, I think. Uh, I just remember hearing it for the first couple of times. I was like, yo, like that. I was like, that's the Tupac that I remember. Like, mm-hmm. I think, and, and I, I was going to talk about this a little later, but I can admit it now. <clears throat> Personally, mm-hmm. I realized after going back to this, I'm not saying that it's better, but I like this album more than I liked All Eyes on Me. Now, my favorite album is Me Against the World from Tupac. Of course. Um maybe it was where he was and where I was. I was in college, what I was going through at the time. That album was dope for me playing football. It was something I listened to in the dorm or before I went to practice, before I played in the game. So Um, many tears, man. Yeah, man. I mean, like it it was just, it was something that I still even bump to this day. Um, But I I like this album. It, this listening to it reminded me how much I liked it more than like all eyes on me. I was like, it felt like, that was a death row album, like, but this felt like a Tupac album. It just, mm-hmm. and, and I, you know, the difference, you know, between the, the death row and, mm-hmm. and, and it's not to say that one is better than the other. I just, it just, it felt like Tupac. Mm-hmm. Um, Bomb first was crazy. It was crazy. When I heard it, I was just like, yo, this is that. I was like, this is the Pac that I remember. Um, mm-hmm. Then obviously we get the track two, Hail Mary. Um, <sighs> listen, Man, 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 man. All right. It's Kyle. It's just like, Kyle, first of all, before we get there, where do you fall on the great debate of greatest opening rap lines? It was all a dream. I ain't no killer, but don't push me. I ain't no killer, but don't push me. That's what I'm like. That because, shit. like, that's that shit. It was all a dream. Was you know, okay. I, admission as much as I love Biggie and as much as I love Ready to Die, that album. Mm-hmm. Juicy, I'm. I, I I've heard it enough. I'll just put it like that. Even it. like when I play it now, I don't. I mean, if it's on, I'll listen to it. But it's not mm-hmm. something because we we heard Juicy every single day. Mm-hmm. It was on black radio. It was on white radio. It's on mm-hmm. MTV. It was on BET. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just you know it's it's okay. It's not. And again, it's no knock. But that mm-hmm. to answer your question, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think it's the greatest opening rap line ever, man. Because when you understand what he was going through, yeah, Pac was, Pac was getting death threats from the feds. He was getting death threats. I mean, his own city from you know, in, well, L.A. You know, what I mean, he was a city he adopted. Um, mm-hmm. The coast really adopted him in a lot of ways, but there was still turmoil because at this time, Pac was actually. Uh, people don't know, but Pac was actually orchestrating gang truces in Compton. Mm-hmm. And also why it's, I think it's an assassination because the two people who were also around Death Row were two heads of the Compton gang unit. Mm. And if you know anything about, you know, dirty cops and how money is laundered through the hood and whatnot, you know what I mean? Do your own math. Read the book, yep. John Patash. So when I hear Hail Mary's, I ain't no killer, but don't push me. Seeing what he was doing with Puff and who Puff was hiring to retaliate against him mm-hmm. in the city and whatnot. You feel the essence right from jump. And just like the the way that those bells come in, like boom, Machiavelli. It's, it's just like, you know, it's to this day, yes, yes. there's still not a better song to me. If you're trying to get in the gym, if you're trying to hoop, 
you put that on and people just know it. And I, I, I think it's the greatest rap chorus ever. I think it's the greatest hook we've ever heard. It's just like the essence of who he is is in this is in, is in those two verses and you just hear him spin like penitentiary pack with promise makers never realized the precious time like come on bro like Man, it's just incredible yes that when i tell you that got all the play that got all the play in 1996 mm-hmm. um conversely it wasn't a song that i ever got tired of hearing um it was that that was just pop man he he was he was so many things. And I think this song really, even though it was a chart topper, it was something, but there's a message in it. Uh-huh. And I think that's where I think people kind of got lost a little bit because not only is the song jamming, but there's a message here. And uh-huh. like you said, he he was going through a lot. I mean, like some people, Pox haters will say, you know, some of that stuff was self-imposed. But at the same time, he was dealing with a lot. He was coming off a criminal case. And, you know, Death Row was going through their things and he was going through his quote unquote mm-hmm. beef or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. He had enemies. Don't mm-hmm. get it twisted. Now, he had a lot of people riding with him. He had a lot of people on both coasts, you know, supporting mm-hmm. him and his music and his movement. But he he had his detractors and he had people that didn't want to see him shine. So mm-hmm. um, Hail Mary was was just, a, a, a again, a great follow up to Bomb First. But um, it's one of the and I hate using the word classic, but it's one of the most popular uh, songs, hip hop songs, period. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, and it's it's to me, it's aged well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> then we get to track three, Toss It Up featuring Aaron Hall, mm-hmm. Danny Boy, Casey and Jojo of Jodeci. Mm-hmm. Man, what, what did you think about Toss It Up? I can only, I love, well, for, first of all, I play this album through every time. I, I, okay. I don't skip yeah. a track. Yeah. Same but here. the reason, but the reason why I don't skip toss it up is because I look at it as like almost like a parody song. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where it's like it's such a taunting, you know, track because I think that they took uh, no diggity and Pac was supposed to actually use that beat, and then they got a cease and desist like Yo, you can't use this at all. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just such a genius like taunt at Puffy, where like we got all your singers, yeah. your homies on this joint singing with with us on Death Row. And funny thing about that video, Pac gave Lisa Ray her first start. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. On um, mm-hmm. she was Brenda's got a baby, right? Yeah, I think no, I think Lisa Ray was actually in the in the toss it up video. That was okay, that, thought, that was that was his last video he shot before he went to Vegas. Wow, I thought she was I thought she was in Brenda's got a, maybe it was somebody else. Mm-hmm. I thought it was in Brenda's mm-hmm. got a baby, but um, mm-hmm. wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That is and crazy. I, I just think toss it up is. It's definitely one of the more all eyes on me type tracks mm-hmm. where it's just like it's party music. And that's where, you know, I couch Tupac as an artist is he made human music. You know what I mean? He made human music. It was from his gut. It was from one one minute. You know what I mean? For for the people who are like, oh, he a hypocrite. Well, what person isn't a hypocrite in some <laughs> form or fashion of their life? I, right. I don't I, I don't un- understand that. To me, that just seems like more people trying to detract from. The impact that he had because he was truthful in the fact that he said, yo, I'm not, you know, I'm not innocent in all this. I didn't call black women the B word and I didn't mm-hmm. did this and that. But, you know, that was my influence of being, on, you know, on alcohol. But at the same time, dude was 23, 24. Yeah. Like he's my age, out. my yeah. age, having yeah. this much not only knowledge, but it's the duality in Pac to go from a Hail Mary to then like, the skit that bridges it like we on this right. conglomerate called death row you know what right. i mean i love that skit actually like the like the outro to uh hail mary 
and then um, you get you know toss it up, which is more so a bombastic track. And I, I like that he's only Tupac would on a song talk about a girl that he want to you know you know get it in in the parking lot, and then mm-hmm. just two other dudes on the last verse. It's just insane. Like, I love it, man. Hey man, that that speaks to who he was, man. He was a mm-hmm. complex person, mm-hmm. and I think most of his fans, I think we understood that. I I, I don't think you know we 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 knew that. Yeah, it just kind of depends sometimes which way the wind was blowing, what, what Tupac you were gonna get. Mm-hmm. But you know, you could be critical and say, yeah, he's a hypocrite. But I mean, at that point, he was again try, not making excuses for for him, but he was trying to find himself. Um, I think the interesting thing about Toss It Up is that there was talk during the beef, if you will, that, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Pac, he ain't got no radio songs like Bad Boy. <laughs> and this was a radio song. Like, mm-hmm. so he was, this was his response to the haters. To it, it never came out from Bad Boy, but it was just, again, room, we didn't have Twitter. So, you know, it was just rumors and innuendo that mm-hmm. Pac couldn't do a radio joint. And this was a radio joint with, you know some bad singers. I mean, uh-huh. Danny Boy, Aaron. Hall, I mean, Aaron Hall uh-huh. and Casey and JoJo. All these on these. Whew. You got four singers on one track. Like you don't. Uh-huh. He just really need an Aaron Hall. That's it. <laughs> he uh-huh. didn't have these other dudes. Uh-huh. But um, I, that's how I, I look at toss it up. I look at it as his response to because at that particular time, you know, Big and Puff and Bad Boy, they had the charts. Don't get it twisted. Uh-huh. They had the charts. They had uh-huh. hit records that got radio play. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pac was showing that he could do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then we moved to another radio track, uh, but really wasn't too. I w- I can't really say it was a radio, but it, it was radio friendly. Uh, mm-hmm. To live and die in L.A. Um, one of my favorites on this album. Love it. What did you think about this one? To live and die in L.A. To me, the Machiavelli album. I keep I keep trying to do overview and then go into the song. But when you get to this joint, if Pac understood that he was on borrowed time because mm-hmm. of not only his politic but his strategy with the allies on me album you know qd3 has an interview where he says you know Pac was you know on the all eyes on me album he was trying to show that he was relatable to basically black youth and black mm-hmm. men black women the, in, the, in the community that was more in the urban center and you know had like not little respect for the old 60s, 70s old heads who are still preaching, you know, black power or whatnot, right? But QD3 talks about how when they were having conversations on this album, he was like, yo, I want to be able to teach the youth something. I want to be able to use my voice on this album to actually bring together some type of political consciousness in the right. people that I garnered on All Eyes on Me, because you already had their attention now. Mm-hmm. I put, Tupac put, puts out a movie, Gridlock, everybody wants to go see it. He puts out a movie, gang-related, everybody wants to go, go see it. Right. So you already have people's attention on multiple fronts. So when you get to a joint like To Live and Die in L.A., if if I'm to understand that he knew he had borrowed time, this is like his love letter to how L.A. took mm-hmm. him in. And he's just like, yo, if I don't make it, y'all know I love y'all because y'all showed me so much love. Like, And even in the video with him with the orange being like the orange yes. guy and going down to Crenshaw High and all that stuff, man, it's, it's such a beautiful love letter. And just the strings are so sentimental to me where the like like the Prince sample and the hook with the living die, it's still mm-hmm. classic to this day. Yeah, man, that, that song is funny because like <clears throat> he, 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 he died in September of 96. I went to LA right after graduation in December of 96 for Christmas. Mm-hmm. My, my, mm-hmm. Uh, my girl, my girl, my, my wife, uh, mm-hmm. she's from LA. 
Mm-hmm. And man, when I got out there, I turned on the radio. As soon as I landed, we were in the car, turned the radio on, man. That's all that was playing. And I mean, like, I just remember, and that song makes you love LA, makes you want to go to LA. LA is a beautiful city. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorites. And that song just it 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 and then when the video came out, man, we were just like, we were we were so happy to see the video, man, but we were sad because he was gone. You know what I mean? Like it was just mm-hmm. like. I, I don't, you know, and it was something you touched on, Q. I don't necessarily subscribe to the fact that I think, you know, that he was speaking his death into existence. I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't necessarily because that's what not all what Tupac rapped about. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, he rapped about hard times and maybe maybe he did know. I don't I mean, we'll never know. Mm-hmm. But I think he also spoke so much about positivity and about life mm-hmm. and about having fun and having a good time that I don't necessarily I. It's almost like reading a book. You're reading a hundred page book and you and you take out two pages and you just focus on those two pages. But, mm-hmm. but you've got 98 other pages. So yeah. I mean, yeah, he did speak about those things, but I think, like you said, it is this is his love letter to LA. And I think it's a dope song, man. And, and it's still it still jams and it mm-hmm. still gets mad play, <laughs> no mm-hmm. matter where you go. Mm-hmm. Um track five, blasphemy. <sighs> this was one cute man. I again it came on and God I just has a I, plan. <laughs> I just started rapping it and I, I without even looking, I, I forgot yeah. the name was Blasphemy. And I was like, I was like, this is my shit. I just remember yeah. riding that riding on campus, man, listening, bumping this joint. But what mm-hmm. do you think about Blasphemy? God has a plan. Like, you know what I mean? Like that intro, we could actually say Machiavelli could be cons- like there's horrorcore elements to this album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Hail Mary and Blasphemy, those are like, those would be considered, if they were produced by the Rivers, everybody would say, oh, those are grave <laughs> dead, they think it's trash. You know what I mean? Like, yo, you know what I'm saying? So it's yeah, like, yeah. And also, quick note on, on Hail Mary, Tupac's godfather, Geronimo Pratt, who's a Black Geronimo Panther, mm-hmm. he has an interview where he says uh, Tupac came to visit him in San Quentin. And mm. he told him, and Pac was like, yo, tell me about the Black Panther, how y'all patrol the police in Oakland and blah, blah, and L.A. and whatnot, right? And he told him, well, we had this policy um, where if you were on patrol and you had a firearm with you, you had to be prepared to use it. And the policy was called ride or die. Wow. So when people really listen to this album, please understand, there's so much, I, th- I, I, I think I call them pantherisms. Uh-huh. But there's so many little pantherisms in this album. Like, do you want to ride or die? Like that, like, and it's funny because Geronimo, when he heard it, he was like, I just smiled because I know that he's talking to me in this in, wow. the, in this verse. So when I hear blasphemy, I got advice from my father. All, 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 all he told me was this, nigga, get off your ass if you plan to be rich. Oh my goodness. But that skit leading into just some of the greatest verses, like, I think his metaphors for the, I think it's a metaphor for the rap game personally, Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, bridging Hail Mary with Blasphemy, I think that they are sibling songs Mm -hmm. where he's like, follow me. You know what I mean? I think that he's trying to lead rap to a different way. And at this time he's recording an album with East Coast, Midwest and West Coast rappers called One, One Nation. So you, you even hear that um, on Against Our Lives or like One Thug, One Nation, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I I really do believe that blasphemy is a metaphor for what he's trying to do in rap, where he's like, we need to get all of this, you know, gang banging and killing. He even says this in the interview, all this gang banging and killing and quote unquote running trains on black women. All we need to get all this shit out of hip hop. We need to get all this shit out of our communities. 
and we need to bring that together and bring a new type of unity. And blasphemy to me when he's talking about I'm coming for the Pharaoh's kids. <laughs> I, bro, analogies for Puff. I, you know what I mean? Come on now. And, and blasphemy, you know, double meaning. You know, blasphemy as in in, in the biblical sense, or mm-hmm. blast for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's man. Listen, this and and this is what I talk about a lot of times on this podcast where. When music is really good, I, and you don't even have to talk about whether or not it's classic or not, but when music is really good, you're able to get something from it each time that you listen to it. Maybe something, you know, it, it maybe one day it might be a snare, the other day, the next day it might be a verse that you mm-hmm. never really paid attention to. Oh man, 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 okay, I know what he's talking about. You know, because sometimes we consume this music much like you did, probably when you were a lot younger. So some of the references and stuff might have gone over your head. Maybe some of the historical aspects might have flown over your head. And then as you get older, you realize what it is that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think this, you know, Pac was, he was definitely headed in a different direction. And this, this song right here was one of those other songs that really made me, really gave me that feel of Tupacalypse Now. Cause that was the first time I heard him. I was, I want to say Tupacalypse Now. I was a freshman in college, I think. Mm-hmm. I was either mm-hmm. a freshman or I was, either I was a senior in high school, one of the two, but blew me away, you know, cause mm-hmm. he, that didn't sound like the dude on, you know, same song with uh, uh, mm-hmm. Humpty Humping them. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, that that was that was a dope track. Then you get into track six, uh, life and life of an outlaw, featuring the outlaws. <sighs> what you got on this one, man? This is this is the magnum opus of the album. Yeah. Those strings, like it's it's like it's like an it's like an Italian opera. Where you just hear like, it's it's just some dirty, hairy Western Clint Eastwood yeah. like, oh, no, I explain the game, niggas ain't listening, stuck in positions like, bro, this is this blasphemy, hail mary, all of these songs for me, it makes me upset when people say Tupac is in a lyricist because I don't, I think that we might have different definitions of what a lyricist is, but if we're just going by a general definition of what it means to be a lyricist, it means. You're able to convey ideas mm-hmm. using different devices, whether they be metaphor, simile. And sometimes you can say things plainly that was not always, you know, apparent to the naked eye or right, apparent right. to people. And that's what, to me, makes Tupac a lyricist. Now, is he, you know, Feral Monch? No, no come on, no. 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 But, he's, he's, you know, he's no it, threat to rock him. Yeah, like, he's, <laughs> you know, he's, not, he's not Jay Electronica. Like, you know what I mean? Right, he don't got to right. be, be that. But to me, he doesn't have to be that to qualify as a lyricist. When you have songs like Blasphemy and Life of an Outlaw, where he's like, Code 3, attack formation, pull out your pistol, keep an eye out for them devils because they itching to get you. Like, bruh. Lessons. Listen, listen, bro. Like he's not just talking some low. Yeah, it's just yeah, cool. Dude. He is talking about the police. Like he is yeah. talking about them people. So it's like, man, this this song is the glue to this album for me. And even yeah. the outlaws all got off on this song. I'm like, yo, even mm-hmm. Napoleon like went crazy <laughs> on this last verse. I was like, all right, but the production, <laughs> bro, the like the like the hook, man, like Napoleon's verse, where he's like, yo, would you kill for me? Like, but it just gives mm-hmm. such a, a like his battery's fully charged on this song. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I, I I'm one of the few people, man. I bought the um, I bought the Thug Life album, so I was familiar with Outlaws. Those dudes it, it, now on some of those songs they were hit or miss, but I think that they delivered. You know, on this album they delivered for him. They they didn't oversimplify anything. They didn't try to be anything that they weren't. Um, and they held their own. You know, when rhyming with Tupac. 
Um, but I, I agree with you. I think this this particular song puts it all together. And, you know, you're right. He's and I, I've, I've often said, like, no, he's not a lyricist. Because I think when I get into the debate about people mm-hmm. about him being a lyricist, they want to bring up people want to bring up, you know, the, the radio song. He's not mm-hmm. lyrical on the radio songs mm-hmm. on these songs like this right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got, I mean, it's, it's again, it's lessons. Mm-hmm. It's things that he's talking about that are still relevant to this day, 25 years later. Mm-hmm. And um, no, nah, man, he, I, I love this joint. I love this joint. Um, and then we get into track seven. We mentioned a little earlier, just like daddy featuring outlaws. Like I said, this was okay. It's, it's mm-hmm. my least favorite song. I think if they had used some, the hook, I think really kind of what took me out. I was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hook's okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. but it's not like you. It's not really, it's not something I'll skip. Mm-hmm. It's just not my, it's my least favorite song, but it's not mm-hmm. a song that, Absolutely. I think it's, you know, people who were teenagers or 20 in the 90s, they have a lot of sentimental value for this song for some reason. When it's whenever I ask, and I don't like to call people old heads because I'm, I'm getting old now, we, but we it's old, like, old, you know what I'm saying? So it's, like, <laughs> so it's like, you know what I mean? I ask, you know, I ask the OGs and old heads, like, yo, like, how you feel about this album or, or more so this song? And they'll be like, man, I had my first time to this joint. I, 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 you know what I mean? I love that song. My mama was home, away on vacation. My girl came over. You know what I mean? We got it popping. I'm like, all right, word. You know, other dudes, you know, high school dance, man. This 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 came on and blah, blah, blah. My prom song. I'm like, word. Right. So it's like, for reasons like that, I like to put myself in, the sh- in, in those shoes where it's like, if I was that young cat, like 18, mm-hmm. 17, and I heard just, I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know I mean? I'm trying to be daddy, do you know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. Somewhere, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. So it's like, I, I like it. It's a good song. Yeah, and then we get the track eight, Crazy, featuring Ooh. Badass. Q, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When I, when I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I was listening without looking at the track listing. Uh-huh. When this song came on, all you heard was, yo! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I hadn't heard it in so long. I was like, that's my, this was my shit. This is, this might be, this might be my, this might be my favorite. I, and I can't really tell you why. <laughs> this might be my favorite track on the album. I love this song. I used to play it all the time, man. This is my joint. I mean, man. I, I can't even. I I don't know why, but I kept coming back to this song. I I don't. Mm-hmm. I even to this day, I, I don't really know why. But this was this song probably, if it's not my favorite track on the album, it got played the most because mm-hmm. I think yeah. By that time, I was buying CD, so I I had this actual CD. If I had to tape it, maybe I maybe I might not have played mm-hmm. it as much because you had to actually rewind it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean this this is my. What would you think about Crazy? This is my joint right here. I love well, it. It's an amazing song. Multiple levels. First of all, to to corroborate exactly why I believe, um, and not believe, but we can verify that Tupac was orchestrating gang truces on this on this very song. He says, "I see bloods and crips running up the hill, looking for a better way." Like you know, what I'm saying, my brothers and sisters, it's time to build. Cause even thug niggas pray. Like he's letting y'all know what I'm what I've been doing and what they might kill me for. And I think that it's incredible that we get that. Number two, we have the quietest feature verse from badass i've ever heard <laughs> like this is the most like you know the yin yang twins would be blushed from this but um badass had a good verse i think the hook is incredible and just the mm-hmm. guitar riff and the time goes by mm-hmm. puffing on mm-hmm. live. The, does the production give you outcast 
it gives I, you that I live heard big boy. It, it gives you the live instrumentation feel of Outcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was different because, you know, from what I know, or at least mm-hmm. from what I can remember, I don't remember Pac ever, you know, working with live instru- instruments or anything mm-hmm. like that on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's man, this, mm-hmm. this, when mm-hmm. I heard it, man, the other, a couple of weeks ago, like I said, listening to it, and again, because I hadn't listened to this album in its entirety, I'll mm-hmm. put it on shuffle and I'll hear a song or two here, or there, but I had not, mm-hmm. I literally had not heard the song in like three years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was just like, yo, that's my shit. Like, mm-hmm. I, man, whoo. Mm-hmm. Good memories, man. Good yeah. memories. I mean, to, to, to close on your outcast point, I believe Pac was supposed to have them on the One Nation album because wow. what people don't know is Pac was going to go to Atlanta with mm-hmm. Kadada, with, with Kadada Jones before Vegas. But I believe that he, in, the, in, the, in the book and in multiple interviews with his family that corroborated this information, he was court ordered to do a club appearance at, at Six Six Deuce, which mm. was the club that Death Row owned in Vegas right, and Vegas, whatnot. Right. You know, so it, it just adds a lot of just credence to you know people who are like, man, you know, Vegas could have been some type of whatever operation set up. It was never going. He was never supposed to leave. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Outkast would have been on it, just imagine those voices, Andre and like, <laughs> bro, we we couldn't handle that. Like, bro, what? That, Incredible that song. That'd have been crazy. And he, you know, he he would come here from time to time too. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get into track nine, White Man's World. Whew. So many listen, lessons on this one, man. Listen, it's incredible. Um, who knows what tomorrow brings? Like, man, it's just it's so it's so sentimental. Um, this is that this is that keep your head up, Pac. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. that you know what I mean. And this is why I think this album is such a amalgamation of all of his best qualities right because when you when, when you when you get a joint like white man's world he's like you come in i, th- I think it's either a fair speech in the beginning or the end actually but um you know who who made you ashamed of being black and he's just like dear sister up in prison i miss you like we're crying writing messages so like come on man like talking about help me raise my black nation reparations are due it's true caught up in this fame i took advantage of you like bro <laughs> He's letting y'all know. Bars. He's letting us know, man. It's bars, man. And it's like, and that's what makes him so dangerous is because yeah. you can't have a guy who sold six million records in like nine months on All Eyes on Me go turn around and not make those type of songs anymore. Now he's talking about reparations. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Talking about free Mumia, free, you know, yep. my, you know, all, come on, man. Yeah. Come on, man. Like, dude, like, y'all, y'all know how I feel, but white man's <laughs> world is incredible. Yeah, it, the, and this a song like this was is to me what was missing from All Eyes on Me. If if there was anything missing, I mean, like you said, All Eyes on Me was like the the nonstop party record. This was a, a lesson. This was you know keep your head up. This was dear mama. This was you know Tupac being very sentimental but being very direct as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, incredible track, incredible track. Is this is one of the highlights I think on the album. Um. Then we get to track 10. Track 10, me and my girlfriend. Um, what I will say about this track, <laughs> uh-huh. I listening to it, I kind of wish that they didn't let Jay-Z remake this track. Listen. Because it, uh. it, it doesn't fit. Uh-huh. And 
the track this track fits perfectly on this album mm-hmm. but what jay-z did to it and i, and I kind of understand and get why he did what he did but they probably shouldn't have let him do it and i know you know he got the blessings from um afini shakur rest in peace but mm-hmm. i q i don't know i mean because this this shit is hard i mean c- Mm, man, like though, there there are people who still think he's talking about a woman. Like you know what I mean. Like there are people who still think he's talking about it's a the girl. duel. It's the duel, and it's like it's just the duality. Like you're saying, for me and my girlfriend. Number one, let me give y'all some other pantherisms on this. There's a book by Mumia Abu Jamal with the foreword from a Fanisha Shakur called "Lost in the Whirlwind." Okay. And if you listen to Look For Me, Lost in the World, when 96 Bonnie and Clyde, me and my doing 85 when we ride. Like, dude, to to juxtapose this in the same year with the I Gave You Power is always dope to me. Because it's like, you see how Nas and Pac had similar Mm -hmm. understandings Mm -hmm. of lyrics and metaphor. And just the Spanish guitar on this, just the 808 that's hidden in the background. Like, dude, like, even, even, uh, who is it, Storm on the beginning when she's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Die, nigga, die, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know what I mean? Like, I love that. You know what I mean? It's incredible. Solid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I love this joint, man. I, like I said, I, looking back on it now, I get why, you know, they allowed Jay Z to do it. And, you know, he's got Beyonce. And I think he and Beyonce, I think at the time, it just, I don't know if they had just started dating, but they made it public that they were a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that part of it I understand. Um, but if you listen to this song and then you listen to Jay Z's song, you realize like Jay Z really shouldn't have done because like he's not doing he's not making the song better because mm-hmm. it's hard to top this. And I I really had forgotten how dope this song was. And uh, going back and listening to it again, I was like, you know what? I was sitting think, and I, it it didn't bother me until, like I said, about a couple of weeks. I was like, you know what? They shouldn't. Have. I was like, fuck, they give Jay Z mm-hmm. this one for. They shouldn't have let mm-hmm. Jay Z touch this. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's it's it's, and it's not a bad song. Jay, I don't think Jay Z messed it up, but I I don't think he should have touched it. Yeah. Um, a dope, dope song. As he's coming to the end of the album, um, we get to track eleven. Hold your head. Um. Uh, <laughs> Bro, what you got on this one, man? Once again, man, it's just those. It's to me the the last five songs on this album are yeah. just like it's like the last will and testament of Tupac Shakur is this song, mm-hmm. where he's just like Mumia, Mutulu, Geronimo, Seku. He's talking about Seiko Odinga, Mutulu Shakur, Mumi Abu Jamal. This is the biggest rapper in the world. Now, just yeah. oppose this to what we have today mm-hmm. and what and what they talk about in their skits or their intros. Or people don't do, right. do skits anymore, but what they do, every everything is, you know, luxury cars, luxury clothes, foreign women, women. Everything is about trying to make you feel bad because you don't have a product that they're selling you right. But when you hear songs like "Hold Your Head," it actually it actually has made me cry on multiple occasions. I'm not yeah. afraid to say that. I'm not ashamed to say that because, as a young black man in America, as a black person in this world, I think sometimes just having an older brother or having a a strong figure saying, "Yo, it's okay. Hold your head. I go through the mm-hmm. same shit. Like I go through this, but you gotta hold your head. It's gonna be mm-hmm. all right." So for us to have a rap star, the biggest one, telling us. Yo, there's purpose to this. There's political purpose. There's a personal purpose to to this. But there's a sentimental value in this song that is just so deep 
because you come in with the jail bars closing because Tupac was put in jail. Right. You know what I mean? <clears throat> if you think about this, people, if you go through history, all of the greatest black leaders or black revolutionaries, whatever you want to call them, they've all been put in the carceral system. All of them. Martin Luther King was put in jail. He had a letter from Birmingham jail. Malcolm mm-hmm. X was in jail, found Islam, found Elijah Muhammad. All the greatest, you know, who really made like, you know, almost prophetic impact. They were mm-hmm. all put in jail. So for him to start with the bars closing and shouting out his elders and people who gave him his politics and then just, you know, ending the, ending the, ending the song, one of the most haunting courses. Yes. How do you keep the music? Like, bro, it just seems like his soul is in this song. You know what I mean? Man, the this song right here, I remember, I distinctly remember listening to it for the first time when I heard it. Um, it made me sad because I was like, at that particular time, I was like, I got it. I, mm-hmm. I see where he was, where he was trying to go. Mm-hmm. And because at that point it, it it hit me, it registered with me, like, no, this ain't all eyes on me. Like this is this is this is something different. And it's a le- there's so many lessons and jewels in this. And now he's gone and we can't get this anymore. And the reality is is that rap was all it took me back to when we were learning stuff, when rap gave you lessons, basically, when they taught mm-hmm. you about history, taught you about your people. You know, mm-hmm. when you when you're shouting out, you know, free mumia, mm-hmm. it makes me as a 22 year old kid at the time i think go and find out more about mumia because i didn't know you know what i'm saying and i'm on a black college campus i heard the name before but i didn't know but it made me want to go and find out more wherein you know if it was 2021 i could you know get it get on the internet or whatever the case may be but i think that's that just hearing those kind of the lessons and things that he was speaking is preaching in in that particular song it, it was if I felt better after hearing it, but like mm-hmm. I remember the first time I heard, it, man, I was sad. I was like, "Damn, he was. This was where he was going. Like he was, mm-hmm. he was trying to take us there, and this is where he was headed." Because again, there was a sense of direction at this particular to- time in that album that we didn't see a direction in All Eyes on Me. Mm-hmm. You know, he had direction on Strictly. He had direction on Apocalypse. He had direction on uh, Me Against the World. Mm-hmm. You know, All Eyes on Me was what it was. It was a double mm-hmm. album. It was a party album. It was it was a lot of different things. It was jamming out. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't what this is right here. And and I'm like, we're coming to the end of the album. And I'm like, it, it just hit me like, yo, this is this is where he was going. And mm-hmm. I felt sad because we weren't going to get any more of this. And the reality was, Q, after hearing that song, I took a look at the landscape of what hip hop was. And it wasn't nobody else going to be doing that. Nobody. I mean, because rap was it was money come involved basically. Yep. You know, corporations. Hip hop was corporate at that point. And this is and this is why I believe Tupac Shakur he he transcends people's goat conversation to 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 me personally because there's so many accounts from his family members. You can look up YouTube. You can go in the book. There was strategy, like I was saying, with all eyes on me. There was strategy. It, it, it wasn't just, you know, a young kid who was trying to put on, you know, a fake image. Mm-hmm. He was actually putting on a persona that he knew was going to attract that demographic, like I say. So you're 100% correct in the fact that he was 
saying, all right, now that I've catalyzed this audience who's like, oh, we, we love everything you, you do. All right, right, if you love everything I do, do y'all know who Mumia Abu-Jamal is? Because right. this is real. You know what I mean? On Hold Your Head, he's like, currency means nothing if we still ain't free. We still ain't so, free. So, bro, and we come still on, ain't man. free. Come on, man. <laughs> like, we can't even get NBA players to sit out for two games. Man, man Q, I had a... um. I had a, uh, I had a, a discussion. I can't remember if it was on this podcast or someone else's podcast. And I said, I would have liked to have seen, you know, the the forty year old Tupac or the fifty year old Tupac. Mm. He would be political. He would be, and and not necessarily supporting a party or anything. Because mm. I think Pac was more of a kind of cat that was he he won't make you think. You know, mm. don't necessarily follow the crowd. You ain't necessarily got to follow me. Mm. Think. Think about what it is that I'm telling you, because I, what I'm speaking, I want you to grasp and take hold of. And um, we don't have that, you know, not not in that manner. There's, you know, it, it, it takes me back to the skit that uh, well, not the skit, but the, the piece that Kendrick put on to uh, to pimp a butterfly when he said, yeah. you ain't got no loud mouth 30 years walking around. Come on. That's man. true. I was like, wow, man, this is crazy. And it's, um, it's just it's, it's so deep, Kyle, because it, it is. It's just so deep to me because people don't understand. Even if you know who Sanyika Shakur is, Sanyika wrote a, wrote a great book, Monster, Monster Cody. If you know mm-hmm. the book Monster, he wrote another book talking about the adventures of an L.A. gangbanger. And he mm-hmm. was a he was actually an A-Trade gangster crip in okay. Los Angeles. And he was a part of an organization that Matulu Shakur founded. It was I think it was the New African People's uh, or, Organization. And while in jail, he got politicized reading Matulu Shakur and he reached out to Pac and Pac started writing him. People also don't know that Tupac actually wrote letters and had correspondence yes. with Huey Newton while he was in jail. People yes. don't know this. So he's getting lessons and he's talking to Matulu. He's talking to Sanyika and Sanyika and him ha- actually have a conversation on YouTube. Uh, it's actually a recorded phone call that you can listen yeah. to. It's like 38 minutes long. And Tupac says, I have plans where I want to get a bunch of rappers we gonna start kids leagues. We gonna put the fathers back in in coaching positions. We're gonna you know find a way to get a van, and we are gonna go around to the drug dealers, and we are gonna be like, look, homie, I can't tell you this out dealing drugs, but I can pay you to get off the block from this time to this time, and let's mm-hmm. just see what happens to the neighborhood. There is nobody. Yeah. There is no, and this is in '95, by the way. It's yeah. like in, yeah. in in December That's the conversation. Crazy. There is nobody who even has the desire to do that type of work in our communities. And I think that holds your head is just the essence of that type of spirit, man. It, it, it's, it, it really is. And I mean, like it, it's, it goes back to when I think about, you know, some of the things that he was talking about, particularly on this album, uh, it goes back to something we used to hear all the time coming up. Like when people say, man, you ahead of your time. He was literally ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, I know people, fantasize and they become larger than life in death but he was large he he was large long before he passed you know uh-huh. and, and he was he was definitely a star um then we get to the last track and this album Ooh. this album flows pretty pretty quickly it doesn't feel long at all um the last track against all eyes this man Ooh. said it's the realest shit i ever <laughs> wrote but you and i know what's going on like what? <sighs> Who oh, didn't get it on this? Who didn't get it on this song? This little nickname, nah, sticky lot. Like, man, listen. I think that this is one of the greatest diss songs 
ever personally just because yeah. the desperation you feel it's like back against the wall yeah. i got two bullets in the clip who who wants it right. you know what i mean like i ain't got no more options i have no way out and this is it and just the like the like the wartime skit that comes in you know what i mean and even on the og version if y'all type it in by, by the way i was I started to tell y'all about that but type in on youtube uh the platinum edition machiavelli you can hear okay. the entire og album with outtakes there's no skits on the on on the album at all on this one it's all just tupac's raw motion it's so dope but when he comes in this be the realest shit I ever wrote, and just just like the the keys in the production, I think I like I think the baseline. That baseline is so cold. Oh my goodness, like bro, and then he just don't stop. Like he just don't stop, man. Everyone gets it on this one. As a closer, I think it's the best outro Pac made, um, because it's just so memorable. And I think that even Nas has to take it as as like almost like a Purple Heart, where it's like yo, I went oh, yeah. to war with Pac. And I came out of this 90s stuff alive. You know what I mean? Like, it's such an, it's such, I keep saying it's an amazing track, but it's just a devastating song to listen to because you were like, man, he really was against all odds. And sometimes you crap out, you know what I mean? But it was, a, it was an incredible song. Man, I didn't know who Haitian Jack was. I didn't. No know. one knew. <laughs> I'd heard, I'd heard stories about Jimmy Henchman. Mm-hmm. Um, there was rumors that you know he was had something to do with Quad City. There was rumors that Haitian Jack, like we, I, I, we just didn't. Again, ninety six, we didn't know. We just mm-hmm. if and if somebody said it in the magazine, honestly, we probably believed it. You know, or mm-hmm. if it was word on the street, it just depends on how how much you related to whoever told you. You know, um, but yeah, man, this joint right here, man, just the baseline, his his bars, um. And you make a good point. He really literally felt like he was back into a corner. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know that he necessarily wanted, because he, he really could have ended the album on Hold Your Head, if we're mm-hmm. being honest. But, mm-hmm. you know, Vintage Tupac, he got he to gotta get mm-hmm. one last thing before mm-hmm. he got, he, he's got to get the last word in. And, and I wasn't mad. And I, I remember hearing Nas talk about it in an interview. Nas said, you know, when he heard it, he said he was shocked. He said, but he wasn't mad. He was just like, this dude really is passionate about what it is he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And he went on to explain that, you know, that, that they had to be, he said at the time, he didn't know how it still got on the album. He's mm-hmm. like, but he said, no, nah, we were cool when he passed. He was like, we, we squashed everything. And mm-hmm. then Eric B corroborated the story. Cause Eric B was with him. Mm-hmm. Um, well, was, was with Tupac in New York. Um, but yeah, he, he, uh, you know, and that's, that's the thing. Like, it seemed to me like it would be cool that, the fact that he dissed Nas and then they got a chance to squash it, but mm-hmm. he dissed Jay-Z and they didn't man. squash it. And then Jay-Z man. uses his song. I'm like, I like Puffy on, getting man. robbed like a come on, man. Like, dude. Mob D, I mean Mob D I mean, he, why nigga blowed him out. Like what? He had already he had already addressed Biggie on hit him up. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean, bro, again, even let's say Pac doesn't die. Mm-hmm. We never there's mm-hmm. no in no universe you could have told me that he would be killed then he would die you you might if you say well kyle pot's gonna get shot in three months okay i could believe that right, you know? right. but even then because he wasn't 
he didn't he never struck me as a troublemaker he was some he was somebody who you know could get into trouble. trouble right but it wasn't you know he didn't seem like Pac never came off to me like somebody who was looking to go start mm -hmm. or start something you know mm -hmm. even in the if you watch the video of the fight and i've only seen it a couple of times because i just can't really bring myself to watching it but yeah if you watch the fight of what happened in vegas Pac wasn't he wasn't the, the agitator i mean like Come on. He rolled up, but he wasn't mm -hmm. like, you know, let's jump on this fool or anything like that. It was just and how how do we have all of this footage on tape, but we on but we only get the 30 seconds that he like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, come on, yeah. man. You know, his history is an amazing thing, man. When you, when, you, when you can shape history the way that mm -hmm. you want to shape it to mm -hmm. make it look the way that you want to make it look, if you know what I mean. But uh, but yeah, man, that that joint against all odds, man, perfect way to close out. Like I said, I just I looked at it as pop. You know, having the last word, uh -huh. and um, and that closes out the album. Um, it, it, again, man, looking back on it, it's crazy to think that this album is turning twenty five years old because I, I just remember it so vividly. Um, uh -huh. One question I have for you before we get out of here: uh -huh. um, <sighs> if you were going to rank uh -huh. Tupac's albums the ones that he made when he was alive including this one yeah um how would you rank them top three okay yeah give me your top three okay top three this is my favorite tupac album okay wow this is my favorite me against the world second but it's like a close second it's like your two babies you know what i mean yeah yeah and then and all eyes on me is like to me it's 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 just it's grade A party music, man. Yeah, like people don't like the second disc. I love running, I run the streets. I don't. You know, I love, I I love running the streets. You, you, you said you said something about that in our group chat. Uh, was a couple weeks, and I started. I was like, no, nah, you know, I'll say that for the podcast. Yeah, I'll put it like this, Q. If and I've said this, and I've maintained this, and I still feel like this, Q. Uh -huh. If they made All Eyes on Me one disc, oh, yeah. it had the potential. Oh yeah, of being a top five album mm -hmm. it was just that bad mm -hmm. i mean like it was cr but i just think some of those like the the joint um with the seven 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 ninety three eleven sample um oh, i think it's what's, what's your phone number oh, um, i hate that song um wonder why you call you bitch i, I yeah. could have done without that yeah. um it was it was another it's like when we ride is okay it's, it's okay like i just if if now some of those tracks I'll skip, but in, in yeah. fairness, I say the same thing about Life After Death. You know, because Pac and Big are constantly compared. I say the same. Like, there's some tracks on Life After Death, but uh, R. Kelly it, joint. Yeah, they, he could have kept that. You know, yeah. um, Nasty Boy. That's just terrible. What? what um, that? <laughs> you know, but it, I, I think he had to put. He had to. I get why they did a mm -hmm. double album. Of course. But um, but yeah, if I had to rank a man, I'm going. Me Against the World, uh -huh. this album, and then probably All Eyes on Me. Yeah, that'd probably be my top three. Is this, I mean, to, I mean, if we're talking about three album runs and just careers in hip hop, mm -hmm. this got to be top five to me, man. Like, if we're talking about just the primal nature of like these albums and just how much they are like epochs in, in just his. And his, and not just like his life, but just the rap history. I think that Me Against the World marks like a transition where mm -hmm. he, he, where he's like, yo, they really out to get me. 
they really don't want me to win here. Like, I mean, right. they putting me up on cases, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to give y'all my real. I'm going to give y'all my whole soul because I don't know if I'm going to get out of jail anytime soon. Right. Then we get all eyes on me where it's like, okay, Cristal, you know what I mean? Yo, it's <laughs> not like, we out. I'm out. Thank God I'm out. I, I didn't do two years. I ain't had I ain't had no women. I'm about to be showing y'all what it's about. You know what I mean? And then you get just Machiavelli where it's like, all right, that worked. I got all these people, six million records sold. I'm the number one rapper in the world. I'm walking on Versace stages. Now mm-hmm. let's now let's pivot the people to a political consciousness and still give me y'all some jams too. Cause right. I know y'all right. wanted one of that. You know what I mean? Right. Three album runs, man. This got to be at least top ten for people. Like this is some of the greatest like run in hip hop. I think the thing that that kind of supports what you're saying. Um, I, I'd have to look and see who, because I've done some podcasts on three peats, but at, but when I do the three peats, I'm talking to strictly about their first three albums. Mm. Um, and these obviously weren't his first three albums. But I think the thing that you can make a case for, and, you, and what you're saying is that who Tupac was and the things that surrounded him around each of those albums, when you factor those things into it, mm-hmm. you got you make a strong case because who he was. For that Me Against the World album, and who he was with All Eyes on Me, mm-hmm. two different. He's literally two different people. Mm-hmm. He's literally, and then he was somebody else, somebody who is a little bit more matured, a little bit more refined, a little bit more focused as to where he was going and what he wanted his vision to be and his vision for his people on the Machiavelli album. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I, I think if if you can factor those things into that equation, what you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Because he was, I mean, like, even if you listen to Me, Me Against the World and you, because Me Against the World was done, if I'm not mistaken, right before he went to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, that album, coupled with that Vibe magazine interview that he did where he's on the cover and he's got the glasses on, mm-hmm. um, some of the most deep and retrospective things that Pac has talked about. Mm-hmm. But for some, not all, but for some, you mentioned it earlier. It was an East Coast album, or at least it sounded East Coast. He did, mm-hmm. he kind of went back to his roots. But but Pop was Pop grew up in Baltimore. He he lived in New York for a while. He you know lived in Oakland. He mm-hmm. Pop was let's just be real. Pop was everybody's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was a global dude, man. <laughs> he was everybody's man. So um, but yeah, I, I that those three albums are, are incredible albums, and I think um you know history will show that and. You know, you go back and listen to these albums, and I never get tired of talking about them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, but again, you know, I'd be honest, it's still a little sad, man, because I was yeah. I was there for it, and it's like if I knew then what I know now, um, maybe I feel a little different. But you know, even in some of the things that you know we've discussed here, and some of the things that I've researched and stuff on my own, still a little sad because I, I we want him here for selfish reasons, you know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess it was his time, but you know, this, I always say this when somebody passes away, particularly an artist like this, you bring them back to life every time you press play. So Come on. that's what we're doing. That's what Come we're on. doing. Every time we listen to it, um, man, before we get out of here, Q man, tell folks where they can find you, where they can hit you up at For uh, sure. this. I, I promise you, my brother, this will not be the last time I have you in the podcast. <laughs> we waited too long. We we definitely got to do this again, man. Whether or not we talk about music, we talk about life, we talk about whatever. Absolutely. Nah. First of all, you can catch me uh, mostly every Tuesday on Dead End Sports. Uh, we do a live show discussing all of the, the newest sports news in affiliation with Dead End Hip Hop. 
Um, and then, you know, if you also want to learn some history and whatnot, I actually have an Instagram page that actually has some Tupac information on there. It's, uh, it's my page. Uh, you can follow it. It's finite resource, but it's F-I-N-I-T-E period or dot resource, R-E-S-O-U-R-C-E. So tap in with me, uh, answer DMs if y'all got questions or whatnot. I do a little research on on the side and whatnot. I read a I read a couple books from here and there. <laughs> so you know what I mean. Hopefully people can hear that in the way I speak. But you know what I mean. Tap in with me, and it's always gonna be love when we tap in, Kyle. You know, no doubt, no doubt, my man. Hey, when well, you guys have been listening, you already know where to find me. Uh, the Twelve Kyle Podcast on all platforms. Uh, it's free. Uh, the podcast drops every Thursday at midnight. Uh, from time to time this year, we'll be dropping uh, bonus episodes on Sundays at midnight. So make sure that you tune in. Um, make sure that you subscribe because that's the way that you'll get to it. Uh, and you can follow me on all the socials, 12 Kyle across the board. Uh, that's going to do it for me and Q, man. Uh, once again, 25 years later, uh, the Don Columinati, the seven-day theory with my man Q. Uh, so for my boy Q, I'm your boy 12. We'll catch you guys next time. Five G's. Peace.